This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. You are listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. the Oracle of Fantasy Labs and Rotoviz. Welcome to the November 4th, 2017 NASCAR edition of On the Daily. I'm joined by Dr. Nick Giffen, an editor at Rotoviz, a PhD in mathematics, a three time qualifier for the DraftKings NASCAR main event, and one of the best NASCAR DFS players in the world. You can follow him on Twitter at Rotodoc. Nick, it has been a long time since we talked how are you doing i'm doing great um obviously nfl and uh life and holidays and birthdays and all that stuff got in the way the past couple weeks but excited to be um you know back in the saddle so to speak and uh, or back in the driver's seat i guess we should say there you go yeah last three races of the season texas phoenix and Homestead, man, and that's a... Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Wrap on the 2017 season. I'm excited. Yeah, so uh, it's it's a fantastic... So, I mean, last time we talked uh, Charlottesville, and there have been a number of races since then. Charlottesville. Uh, I think you mean Charlotte. <laughs> Charlottesville, Charlotte, my mistake. They all yeah. blend together on a Friday night. Yeah, that's uh, true. Okay, but but we are back. So this weekend we have a race at Texas Motor Speedway. Um, the last time we did a podcast, you were in the third round of the Fantasy Racing World Championship, uh, and I hate to bring that up. Uh, had 10 people playing down to five. Uh, how did things turn out for you? I ask, even though I know the question. Yeah, uh, the answer to the question. Exactly. So it was it was all right. I mean, I was I was pretty excited. I liked my lineup. Um, spent a lot of time on it, and I was one of two people to have Kevin Harvick uh, at you know at this race at Charlotte, and it just seemed to set up well for him in terms of where I expected him to dominate and out of the 10 of us only myself and ns mafia you know probably the greatest nascar player of all time dfs player of all time uh only me and him had kevin harvick and harvick dominated a very very large portion of the race i also wanted to get kyle bush in because uh i figured he could dominate as well if harvick didn't and of course i wanted to get truex in because he was just the chalk play so i I jammed the three of them in there turns out harvick because he was 20 percent owned led a lot of the race I was in first place for uh, a portion of that race, and I was, you know, I was happy. Kyle Busch ended up leading about 20, 30 laps at one point. Harvick got back out front again, um, and so things were looking good. I was sitting there in first place, and then Kyle Busch hit the wall, 
and then Kyle Busch hit the wall again, and then Kyle Busch hit the wall again, and, and it was over. Uh, Kyle Busch was 50% owned, so that means five people did not have him. Those five people went through. I was the first of the five people to have Kyle Busch not to make it through. I still had some chances. Like, if if just anybody else out of, like, seven or eight different drivers had a problem, I still could have made it through. Unfortunately, none of those other drivers did have a problem. I mean, guys like Stenhouse, Keselowski, Larson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If any of these guys had had a problem, I would have made it through, but didn't work out that way. Um, I'm very happy with my lineup. I'm very happy with my process. I gave myself a incredibly high floor with all the Dominator points that I, I was able to pick up between Truex, who actually won the race, and then Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick. Uh, just unfortunately, Kyle Busch happened to hit the wall. Um, so that's the way it goes. I, I, I can't really complain. Actually, I still probably wouldn't have changed a thing um and you know i could have been competing at home or at uh, talladega and i the lineup i chose for my cash game lineup at talladega probably would have won the fifty thousand dollars but that's okay i'm not i'm not bitter or anything at all yeah it's a a high variance sport so as we mentioned at the top nascar heads to texas motor speedway for the second race there of the season uh, and the second race of the third round of the nascar playoffs Nick, give us a quick overview of the playoff standings. Yeah, so actually, before we do that, um, I wanted to congratulate Gamals, who actually won the Fantasy Racing World Championship. Uh, awesome lineup. And then also Evil Surge came in second. He's been a road of his subscriber, a uh, good friend of mine on Twitter. So he came in second. Very great lineup. Um, almost the exact same lineup I would have used. So uh, just just a really great job there for those guys. So um, congratulations to them on their first and second place showing in the Fantasy Racing World Championship. As far as the playoff standings go for NASCAR, we're down to eight drivers, right? So um, Kyle Larson actually uh, had an engine blow in one of the races in the prior round, I think it was at Kansas, and did not make it through to the final eight. So Kyle Larson, Matt Kenseth, Casey Kane, and Austin Dillon got eliminated in that second round. So now we're in the third round. We're down to eight drivers. We already had one race, and boy, was it a wild race. Uh, a ton of crashes, a ton of just crazy stuff happened. And the big story was Denny Hamlin wrecking Chase Elliott when they were in first and second place with just a couple laps to go. Um, Denny Hamlin wrecked Elliott from behind. Just, I mean, absolutely just hit him from in the rear and just spun him out. Uh, totally Denny Hamlin's fault. Um, and so Chase wrecked. There was a restart. Denny didn't have the best restart. Got passed. Um, then Ryan Blaney got under Denny on the final corner of the final lap and Blaney kind of lost it. And then Denny kind of lost it, got into Blaney and then all mayhem just broke loose uh, coming to the, the start finish line. So Blaney wrecked, Harvick wrecked, Johnson wrecked. I mean, basically everybody wrecked. The only people who didn't wreck were Kyle Busch who won the race and Brad Keselowski. So, um, and, and Martin Truex Jr. I should say, but, uh, Truex is, is the, or I should say Kyle Busch won the race. So he's through to Homestead. Kyle Busch is through to the championship round at Homestead. These next two races, he can do whatever the hell he wants. Truex leads in points, and he is 38 points up on the next guy, which is Brad Keselowski. I mentioned Keselowski didn't get involved in that. So Truex is a 38-point lead, and versus fifth place, which is where the cutoff is, Truex has a 67-point lead, so more than a full race. So Truex is just racing to not make mistakes. Uh... So I mentioned Truex leads, Kozlowski second, 38 points back. 
Um, I guess, well, Kyle Busch is technically second in points, but he's through. Kozlowski third, Harvick fourth. So those are the four that would go through if it were to, you know, if we were going to go to the playoffs, to the final round now. Harvick is 64 points back of Truex. But he's, this is the important part. He's three points ahead of Jimmy Johnson for mm. that final transfer spot. So Harvick and then Johnson in fifth. Another three points back is Blaney in sixth. Two points further back is Denny Hamlin in seventh. So you can see from fourth to seventh, they're really jumbled up in points. Only eight points separate fourth, that final transfer spot, to seventh. And then finally, Chase Elliott, because he got wrecked uh, and didn't have a whole bunch of playoff points, is sitting there in last. 90 points uh, back of Truex and back of Harvick, he is 26 points back. So he has a little bit of work to do, but there are two races to go in this round, so... Anything can happen, of course. Okay, we definitely have more we want to talk about with Texas Motor Speedway. Before that, I should remind everyone that you can get a 30% discount to a special NASCAR pass through our NASCAR podcast homepage, rotavis.com slash NASCAR podcast. With that pass, you get unlimited access to all of Nick's premium NASCAR content and your subscription supports the pod. Okay, Texas Motor Speedway. It is a one and a half mile quad oval that was reconfigured prior to this year. How did the first Texas race play out? And uh, was it any different than any of the other Texas races prior to the reconfiguration? Yeah, so, um, you know, I think the the first Texas race was very interesting. There were four guys, four drivers that led more than 10% of the laps, which is a bit unusual for Texas. Um, It does usually get three dominators, occasionally gets two, and occasionally... Uh, very rarely, occasionally gets four, but that was in the old configuration. Uh, the track was pretty worn out, and um, so tires became an issue, of course. And and when tires are an issue, just especially like Atlanta, it's twin track back in the day before it got reconfigured. Charlotte and, and Atlanta are its twins, um, were its twins, I should say. The, especially at, at the the high tire wear tracks of Atlanta and then Texas more recently, um, there could be multiple leaders. But uh, you know, it certainly. I think this race was a little different. Um, They did lower the banking in turns one and two and widen it out. So it changed the configuration. They did a a treatment to kind of make it eight, like air quote, like age five years. So, um, you know, even though the the track was brand new, the surface is technically acting like it's five years old. And And we saw a lot of different leaders. We saw... Uh, Ryan Blaney lead a large chunk of the race. Kevin Harvick led a good portion of the race, and those drivers started one and two. And uh, Blaney led about 140 laps. Harvick led about 70. And again, drivers starting one and two, even though it wasn't Truex this time, starting up there in the front. The first and second place drivers both dominated portions of the race, so we tend to see that at mile and a half this year. It really is a thing now. Uh, Truex was another driver that led a good portion of that race. And Joey Logano led over 10% of the laps as well. That was before Logano's big penalty at Richmond, back when he was doing really well earlier at the beginning of this year. Um, So those were the four drivers that dominated the race, but then a fifth driver actually won the race, and that was Jimmy Johnson. So there was no way you could get all five into your lineup uh, in in that Texas DFS contest. But if you had four of those, you were in pretty good shape and a couple Joe Dirt cheap drivers. So... Uh, I think we'll probably end up seeing something similar, and it is definitely different from Texas races of the past. Okay, so because there has been only one Texas race with the new configuration, how are you approaching this race with your model this weekend? Yeah, so um, one thing that's really nice is with the NASCAR sim scores that we've been doing all year, uh, I can find similar tracks 
to Texas. So what I'm what I've done is I've taken this obviously this year's Texas race and thrown it into the model, and then the uh, three sorry the four other closest Texas or I should say tracks to Texas from that year that it had similar you know tire age etc. So um, that ends up being for example. Uh, you know Kansas when it was a bit of a younger track um, because uh, and then Kentucky also uh, ended up being a lot like Texas especially after the Kentucky reconfiguration so I've pulled in just from the the sim scores the closest comparable tracks with surface age being factored in so you know the the Kentucky 2016 race counts but the Kentucky 2012 race doesn't count because of track age and, and configuration and things like that uh, so I pulled in those races, and then I did pull in the other Texas races from um, 2016 and 2015 because that was when we did have lower downforce on these cars as well. And so it gives a balance of old Texas and new Texas and some comparable tracks to new Texas. So that's what I'm using, and uh, that's what I'll be doing to to model this weekend. Interesting. So what are the factors that people should look at to gauge finishing position uh, at Texas? Yeah, because of the hodgepodge of, of tracks and the hodgepodge of, of old Texas, new Texas, new Texas comps, it really just ends up being mostly just mile and a half stuff. What is your mile and a half driver rating this year? What is your year-to-date driver rating? That always comes into play, of course, um, but but really you also want to factor in the mile and a half. For example, a guy like Joey Logano has been a lot better at the mile and a half this year than he's been basically everywhere else. So that's something to kind of keep in mind. Um, but really, honestly, it, it basically is mile and a half in year-to-date statistics. So uh, it, it's not too exciting of a model, but it gives still a very good result on out-of-sample data, the R-squared, 0.58. So we like to see that. That's pretty high. It, it's a little above the median um, in terms of all the tracks. There's you know uh, 20-something tracks in NASCAR, and it's just above the median or mean track uh, R-squared there. So uh, you know, I think it's, it's a good model, and... I think the model will be, we'll talk about it a little later, I think the model will be extremely, extremely important this weekend because of what happened in qualifying. You talked about the Dominators earlier. What are the factors that you're looking at this weekend for Dominators at Texas? So this is this is really interesting. Um, and as far as Dominators at Texas, one thing that I've noticed just in general with the mile and a half this year is there's only been seven Dominators at all of the mile and a half this year, total period. Uh, so only seven drivers out of um, many many races have dominated at the mile and a half this year, and they include Martin Truex Jr., Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, uh, which which we expect those three. Ryan Blaney, who as I mentioned dominated the first Texas race this year. Brad Keselowski, who dominated a lot of the earlier mile and a half ovals this year. Jimmy Johnson has had periods of dominance, although I wouldn't really say dominance as much as kind of coming on late and finishing very high. We talked about the Texas win earlier this year. He didn't lead more than 10% of laps. He led less than 10% of laps when he finished. And then Joey Logano. So those are the only seven. We did not mention Kyle Larson. We did not mention Danny Hamlin, Matt Kenseth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the Dominators most likely this weekend will come from those seven drivers because... The same drivers at these mile and a half keep dominating the same races. So, uh, you know, I think it's going to come from those seven. Plus, because of the way qualifying happened this weekend, Denny Hamlin, or sorry, I should say Kurt Busch starts in the pole. Denny Hamlin starts second. Maybe one of those two uh, dominates this weekend. 
um, just because they're starting in the front row and they get a great pit stall. So whoever I think kind of gets the lead out of those two in the early going could be a potential dominator. So there's literally only probably eight drivers, I would think, that have a chance of dominating just based off of the statistics and qualifying and things like that. Well, the way qualifying happen, happened, we can actually throw out another one of those drivers uh, that we'll talk about later. But uh, So yeah, there's only about a handful of drivers that we really should be considering for dominators this weekend, just based off of mile and a half this year. The other things, of course, that are, that are important is starting position. Um, no drivers at mile and a half this year have dominated starting outside of the top 11 starting positions. So we're going to want drivers starting 11th or better. So like I said, when we combine the two, we get a very narrow field of dominators. Interesting. So uh, it sounds like, I mean, so you're open to the idea that uh, Kurt and Denny starting in the top two would have a chance to dominate. At the same time, you did sound kind of pessimistic about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I don't, they haven't dominated this year at mile and a half. They just haven't, yeah. right? And, uh, yeah. you know, I, I would, it, it's, it's been a lot of races. I think we've had, what, 12 or 13 mile and a half races so far this year. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would just, I would like to see dominance from these drivers before I feel good about just saying they're going to be a dominator. I think it's more right. likely that Kurt Busch will be a dominator than Denny, given Kurt Busch has the better driver rating at mile and a half this year, the better average running position at mile and a half this year. But I will say, neither of them, like I said, have dominated. Denny Hamlin does have more fastest laps, but it's not that many. He's only had 2% fastest laps this year at mile and a half. So it's tough to use these guys. I mean, you're looking at Kurt Busch, 0.2% laps led at mile and a half this year, 0.7% fastest laps, and he's starting on the pole. You just can't feel that good about it, and especially Denny Hamlin, who doesn't even get lane preference and restart preference and pit stall preference, and has actually had worse driver rating than, than Kurt Busch this year at the Mountain House. It's very tough to feel confident about those guys, but I think you have to at least consider them, considering they do get the best pit stalls. They do have the early jump on the field at the beginning of the race. Okay, so all year there have been only seven Dominators, and those seven have uh, started 11th or better whenever they've dominated. How are you ranking uh, the Dominator candidates this weekend? And let's start with like the, the top three. Who are your top three Dominators? So my top three Dominators this weekend, I'm definitely starting with Kevin Harvick. Um, he qualified third, which is uh, obviously, you know, starting forward is very important. And we go back to the most recent mile-and-a-half track, which was at Charlotte, uh, which was the race, of course, that I had my misfortune there. Um, Charlottesville, Nick. It's yeah, Charlottesville. Char the Charlottesville Motor Speedway, my hometown that I was you know, born and <laughs> right. raised in. Uh, right. <laughs> most recent mile-and-a-half track there. Uh, you know, Kevin Harvick, I, I guess, just obviously, you know, he, he had a, a strong race. He started, I think he started third there as well. Um, and ended up dominating a good portion of that race. And I think he's better than those two guys in front of him. So, you know, that's kind of what I'm looking at this weekend. I think Kevin Harvick starting in third is in a, a very good situation to be the main dominator. I think Kyle Busch is interesting because he can just continue to prevent, I guess, other people from running away with this. But even then, like, playoff points don't matter going into Homestead. So... He's just going for a trophy. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if he finishes last. It doesn't matter if he finishes first. The only thing that matters is he can prevent somebody like Martin Truex Jr. from finishing first. Uh, but 
I, I guess I guess he could be a dominator, but I prefer True X to Kyle Bush just based off of the mile and a half history this year. So those are my three most likely. So I'd rank him Kevin Harvick one, Martin Truex Jr. two, and Kyle Bush three. Um, just because, like I said, I give the edge to Truex in the mile and a half this year. Um, I do think interesting, you know, I, I think if I did have to pick a fourth, it would probably be Kurt Busch just because he starts in the pole, uh, you know, and, and I don't feel great about it. But I feel pretty good about my top three being Harvick, Truex, and then Kyle Busch. Okay, so uh, it's been a while since we've had a situation in qualifying where multiple big name drivers didn't they didn't pass pre-qualifying inspection, although I feel like it happens all the time. But anyway, this week it happened. So Chase Elliott, Matt Kenseth, Joey Logano, uh, and the biggest name of them all, <laughs> Trevor Bain, uh, they all failed to make a qualifying lap. And so they are starting 34th to 37th. So what is your approach this weekend with those drivers? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, Chase Elliott has been... While he hasn't dominated at mile and a half this year, he's been very good at them. Um, and his, even last year in his, his rookie year, he was very good at the mile and a half. So uh, it's, you know, it's so tough because um, what do you do with these guys back here? You got to play a couple dominators because you, you need dominator points in a GPP. In cash games, maybe you can just try to nail the one or two dominators and then pick two of these guys but there's uh four big names right and trevor bain certainly comes at a discount at seventy two hundred dollars whereas kenseth is eighty nine hundred uh chase elliott's ninety one hundred and then logano's ninety four hundred um the other thing is you know logano is the most expensive of these drivers and he starts the furthest back uh, so it's kind of a weird situation where Logano hasn't been as good lately uh, as he was at the beginning of the year, and a couple of those mile and a half that we, we talked about were at the beginning of this year, the Las Vegas race, the, the Texas race, the Atlanta race, before he had all of these uh, issues after that Richmond win got encumbered. Um, I really think, you know, those first several races this year, he had an illegal car, and that's why he did so well. And once they found the illegal car at Richmond, when he won that race, they haven't been doing that illegal thing since, and he just hasn't been very good. So I'm kind of inclined to, uh, of the of the four of them back there, you know, I think I'd probably uh, most likely fade Joey Logano, but I do want to get two, if not three of these guys in my lineups when possible. If you go Trevor Bain, you can definitely get three. Um, otherwise, you probably can only get two in your lineups uh, because you want dominators and because we did see multiple Texas dominators before. I don't think it's a situation where you get three dominators. I, we, we probably will see three dominators, but I think the set, the third and fourth dominator, if we do get three or four dominators, will only lead 10-15% of the laps. And I think that can be made up for with a lot of plays differential from these guys. So uh, I think you definitely need two of these guys in your lineup relative to uh, the Dominators. I think, you know, if you can find a way to get at least two of these back four, then you can choose however many Dominators you can fit in. But I, I definitely want two, and sometimes even three if you're throwing in Trevor Bain there. Uh, and I would probably, of the three, pick Joey Logano, of the four, I should say, pick Joey Logano last just because his more recent mile-and-a-half history uh, this year hasn't been good as his first half of the year mile-and-a-half history before that encumbered win at Richmond. Uh, and he's the most expensive. 
the, the thing is he does start further back, but it's only one spot difference. Whereas Matt Kenseth, $8,900, the cheapest, is a spot further forward. And then one spot further forward than that is Chase Elliott, who's just had a fantastic year, still alive in the playoffs, and uh, maybe could get revenge on Denny Hamlin in one of these next couple of races. Oh, okay. So I have a couple of clarifying questions here. So one, uh, if you had to have uh, three, either three dominators or three of these place differential guys starting at the back, which are you prioritizing? I would prioritize three at the back, but only, okay. only because if you do three dominators, I think you can only get one of these guys at the back. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could do, maybe, 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 maybe if you find like cheaper dominators. Like uh, mm-hmm. I think Harvick is cheaper. Uh, so if you did something like Harvick and maybe like Jimmy Johnson, who has an outside chance to dominate, or Keselowski, one of those two, or three of those guys, I should say, then maybe you can get away with something like Trevor Bain and uh, Chase Elliott. But I'm not even sure. I haven't plugged that into DraftKings or anything to right. see if that's even possible. Uh, so I would prioritize three from the back because, like I said, that third dominator uh, is A, not guaranteed. B, if it does happen, won't be a major dominator. Right. Um, and then C, I think the 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 place differential guy can more than make up for it. And and D, if you're doing three place differential, you're getting salary relief with one of them in Trevor Bain. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with my bookie. My bookie is the industry leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take aside the total or even fantasy points props. My bookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. My bookie has in game live betting on every major league and event, even esports. There's no better time to join my bookie than today. Go to my bookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Okay, so I think you said that of these four, you would rank Logano fourth. But how do you rank all four of these guys, considering not just their finishing potential, but also uh, their salary and what that means for your ability to put in dominators and other types of drivers? Yeah, I would definitely rank Chase Elliott number one. Um, He's only $200 more expensive than Matt Kenseth, and he's only one spot further ahead of Matt Kenseth in qualifying position. Um, which is based off points, and obviously Chase Elliott's ahead of Matt Kenseth in points. So I'd rank him ahead of Matt Kenseth, and I definitely would rank him ahead of Trevor Bain, just because Chase Elliott has you know, possibly race-winning upside. Uh, so, you know, I think, I think there's um, plenty of things going on here, uh, but between Trevor Bain and Matt Kenseth, it really comes down to is that $1,700 salary difference uh, enough to to make up for the potential upside, I guess. And I think in a race like Texas, where there is um, you know a good amount of predictability, but not total predictability. Like I said, it's just about the median. Um, and we did see you know four dominators the first race this year. I think it's I mean it's super splitting hairs, but I think I prefer Trevor Bain to Matt Kenseth. But in terms of roster construction. 
I and we'll talk about this when we get to the Joe Dirt cheap segment. I think I prefer Kenseth to Bain just based off roster construction. So so what I'm saying here is I think I prefer Bain in terms of like a points per dollar type of deal uh, in the long run, like on average. But I think the way roster construction works out, it doesn't make sense to sacrifice, let's say, whatever, 5, 7, 12 points uh, from Kenseth to Trevor Bain. Like even if, you know, if Kenseth finishes 12 points ahead of Trevor Bain, he's still not going to be better in terms of a value perspective, but it still is 12 points more than Bain. And then you can just drop down to some Joe Dirt Chiefs with the rest of your lineup. So I prefer Trevor Bain in terms of, of value, but I think I prefer Matt Kenseth in terms of roster construction. Okay, interesting. So uh, between the the dominators and the place differential drivers, it seems like there's not much room for other drivers. Uh, how much are you even considering other drivers and GPPs? Um, very little, honestly. I think you can make a case for maybe two other drivers. Um, I think you can make a case outside of Joe Dirt. Uh, I think you can make a case for Clint Boyer who starts 20th. Obviously, his teammate, Kevin Harvick, starts third, uh, and they look like they've, you know, the Fords look pretty good with, with Kurt Busch starting on the pole and Kevin Harvick starting third, which are both of Boyer's teammates there. Uh, even Danica Patrick, you know, starts 14th. So I think you can make a case for Clint Boyer, and I think you can make a case for Ryan Newman, but uh, Ryan Newman hasn't hasn't been the best a mile and a half this year, but he does start 25th, so like something crazy were to happen at Texas and three of these drivers were to have problems. I think Ryan Newman could potentially be uh, a driver you could look at. Um, Maybe, maybe, maybe a driver like Ty Dillon as well, who starts 27th and actually hasn't been terrible at the mile and a half this year. Um, He's been, he's been okay. Um, But uh, I think like really outside of those three, you in, even those three, I wouldn't use them a ton. I don't think, uh, unless we get a surprise dominator, I don't think any of these other guys have a chance at being in the winning lineup. I mean, you're looking at you're looking at one of these uh, seven drivers that we named, plus either Kurt Busch, Kurt Busch or Denny Hamlin. So those nine starting up there, or well, I, I guess nine potential dominators. Uh, but Logano is not a potential dominator because he starts so far back, but he's a place differential guy. Then you're adding in those other three drivers starting far back in addition to Logano. So you're talking 12 drivers that we're really considering this weekend. Then I think you can throw in maybe two or three other names, tops outside of the Joe Dirt cheap tier. So very narrow pool this weekend, but I mean, it doesn't make sense to play it any other way. Really, like you're not going to start Eric Jones in fourth. Uh, you know, you're not going to play Daniel Suarez, who's starting sixth. You're not going to play, maybe you could play somebody like um, Kyle Larson, who starts 11th, but he hasn't dominated this year. So it's so hard to play Kyle Larson knowing he's never dominated a mile-and-a-half track this year, really. So um, super tough weekend, but I think you have to keep a very narrow player pool. Okay, so you mentioned some uh, the possibility of putting in some Joder cheap drivers. Let's talk about them. Uh, which drivers are you looking at to be your Joder cheap plays for this race? Well, here's the funny thing. So we talked about how Chase Elliott and Kenseth Logano and Bain didn't qualify, um, and they only start 34th through 37th. That means there's three drivers starting behind them, and those three happen to be Joe Dirt cheap drivers that also did not uh, turn a qualifying lap, and they are Reed Sorensen, Corey LaJoy, and Greg Galding. The nice thing about that is 
They're not on the more expensive side of the Joe Dirt cheap tier, like your Landon Castles or your Michael McDowell's or, or anything like that, David Reagan's, uh, Matthew Benedetto's, uh, McDowell, whatever. Um, they're on your cheaper side of the Joe Dirt cheap tier, so they perfectly allow you to get in guys like Kyle Busch or Truex or um, you know these, these expensive guys starting in the back, Elliot, Kenseth, Logano, etc., so those are the three we're looking at. That's it. I mean, that's literally it from the Joe Dirt cheap tier. You're looking at Reed Sorensen, Corey LaJoy, and Greg Galding. They're starting 38th, 39th, and 40th, respectively. And the nice thing is Sorensen's only $5,000. LaJoy is $5,300. Sorry, $5,400. Um, and then Greg Galding is only $4,900. So like I said, they're all on the cheaper portion of this tier, of this Joe Dirt cheap tier. And uh, so those are the only three you're going to consider because they're going to move ahead of guys like, I mean, I don't think I even even know who this guy is. Ray Black Jr. Um, is starting. You don't know who Ray him. Black Jr. is? Ray Black the second, I should say, not even Junior the second. <laughs> David Starr. Um, yeah. So you know Jeffrey Earnhardt. We all know who he is. He's an Earnhardt. But uh, Joey Gase. Like I think they're going to move ahead of these guys most likely. Uh, so that that's at least three to four spots that some of these. Guys, Greg Golden, Corey LaJoy, Reed Sorensen could pick up. Not guaranteed, but could pick up. And guaranteed, David Starr, Jeffrey Earnhardt, Ray Black, and Joey Gase will fall behind Chase Elliott, Matt Kenseth, Joe Logano, and Trevor Bain. Whereas, uh, you know, Reed Sorensen, Corey LaJoy, and Greg Golden cannot fall behind those drivers because they're already behind them. So uh, I think those are the only three guys you can consider. So we're honestly, we're talking about, I mentioned maybe 12 guys that aren't Joe Dirt cheap plus another two or three you could like sprinkle in so that's 15 and then three dirt cheap drivers we're talking about like an 18 driver player pool this weekend that you should be using tops okay so if you had to rank the three joe dirt cheap candidates how are you ranking them yeah i think this is the first time we've ever uh ranked joe dirt cheap candidates yeah (laughs) the first time we've ever had enough really for them to be ranked yeah uh well I, I'm honestly, I think I'm just gonna essentially rank them by price. Greg Galding, forty-nine hundred dollars, starts dead last, so uh, he's the cheapest of the three, and he starts the furthest back of the three. He can only go up, so I'm gonna <laughs> right. pick him. the The question is, do you rank Lejoy or or Sorensen next? Because Lejoy starts a spot further back, but he's four hundred dollars more expensive. He's actually fifty-four hundred. I said fifty-three earlier. Fifty-four hundred. I take the price discount with Reed Sorensen and. Uh, you know, I don't. I know Sorensen will be slower than LaJoy, but there's also a reliability factor and a price factor you have to consider. Uh, LaJoy does crash a lot. He also, you know, is on a team that hasn't been very reliable, neither is Sorensen, but uh, just the fact that there is a bunch of randomness with these backmarker guys, I'll take the $400 discount. So I'm going Golding, Sorensen, and then LaJoy for my Joe Cheap order. Fantastic. So we cannot end a podcast with those being the final (laughs) drivers you talk about so uh let's talk about who you think is going to win the race yeah this is this is really interesting because um you know kyle bush we talked about him he he just won the most recent race here uh martin Truex jr has been the man at mile and a half kevin harvick starts third he dominated charlotte which is kind of the sister track here before the for the reconfig still the same shape uh just a uh a bit different on the banking and the, the surface age now, but uh, I think it comes down to those three, and I don't see how you can bet against Martin Truex Jr. at a mile and a half track. So 
Pick to win Martin Truex Jr. We mentioned in terms of dominator ranking, I think Harvick's most likely, and I think Truex is second most likely. That's just because of starting position. Harvick's starting further forward. I think he gets the early lead away from either Kurt Busch or Denny Hamlin after 20, 30 laps. And then eventually later in the race, Martin Truex Jr. takes over, which is exactly what happened at Charlotte. So Truex, my pick to win, and locks himself in the homestead. Uh, And so we'll have Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr. in homestead after this race. Follow-up question. Uh, Probably too far in advance to really prognosticate this, but I'm going to ask nevertheless, who do you think the final four are going to be? So you've, you've already named two. Who do you think the other two are going to be? Yeah, this one's really tough because we talked about those four drivers that are kind of smashed together. I think as long as Brad Keselowski keeps his nose clean, he'll be the ne- another driver. So I'm going to go with Truex, Kyle Busch, and, and uh, Keselowski as three almost like guaranteed guys. After that, it's really anybody's game between Chase Elliott, uh, who is the furthest back, but I still think he can make up some ground, but qualifying, of course, here doesn't help. So I'm going to rule him out, even though I still think he he can. Uh, And so it's going to come down to either Harvick, Jimmy Johnson, or um, who's the other driver? Blaney there. I think Blaney probably a little inexperienced, um, and Jimmy Johnson hasn't looked the strongest this year, so I'm going to go with Harvick. But uh, I don't feel like super comfortable with it. But a, I mean, a final four of Keselowski, Harvick, Truex, and Kyle Busch would be maybe outside of Larson the best four drivers this year. So uh, I think that that would be an exciting final four, and that's that's going to be my picks. Awesome. Uh, there's going to be a Road of His live show, correct? Um, probably. So. Uh, maybe. Uh-oh. Yeah. So maybe well, I shouldn't have brought this up. There probably will be. I, I would say there's a 90% chance of there being a road of his live show. Last week there wasn't, of course, because qualifying at Martinsville took place two hours before the race. So, um, you know, not enough time to <laughs> to do anything. I just had to get the model up on, on the website. But I'm pretty sure we'll have one at the 4 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, 7 p.m. Eastern time. Like 90% sure. But follow my Twitter, Rotodoc, to to make sure. All right, that is going to do it for this NASCAR edition of On the Daily. For Nick Giffen on Twitter at Rotodoc, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt at the Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily fantasy sports podcast powered by Rotoviz Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguabo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily DFS at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at on the daily DFS. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. 
relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.